Join me for a word of prayer. Words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. My name is John Muir. I was born on April the 21st in 1838 in Dunbar, Scotland. My father was a grain merchant. I'm told that when he married my mother, he was a very kind man and fun-loving, but something happened. I only knew him as a fanatical fundamentalist whose only music he allowed in our, ha- in our house, the only music was hymns, the only book was the Bible, no paintings or any sculpture or anything because that would be idolatry. He was such a miser that when the city taxed people based upon the square inches of the window panes, he boarded up all the windows in our house rather than pay tax. And it was a dark house in many ways. He was a brutal man too. Eight children. A wife who could not handle him in terms of his madness. He felt the responsibility was to beat each one of his children with a rod, to beat the devil out of us. And every time we did something wrong for atonement, then we would have to memorize scripture. By the time I was 11 years old, I had memorized the entire New Testament. That was easy to do, though. I had a photographic memory. But... Uh, it wasn't when I decided that I would endure the beatings of my father rather than to be the dull person he wanted me to be. School was not much better. We had a brutal schoolmaster there, too. The one place I found peace was with my grandfather, my mother's father, who lived just across the street. He would take me out into the woods, and there he taught me how to listen. He taught me to see. He taught me about God being present in whom we live and move and have our being. When I was nine years old, my father said, we're going to immigrate to America. Our we children were excited. My mother wept. Halfway around the world with eight children and a madman and never see any of her family again. My father said the reason he was going was to leave the devil behind in Nunbar. He was going for religious freedom. On the ship, he overheard my brother, older brother and I using some language that we had overheard from some sailors, and my father discovered that he had not left the devil behind in Dunbar. We went to Wisconsin, homesteaded there. My father said, three years of school is enough for anyone. You work on the farm. No more schooling. And so... We cleared the forest in the area. We built a house. But I loved it there because I was right out there in the midst of nature. That was the one place that no one was trying to force me to conform or squeeze me to fit their mold. I could be free to be who I was created to be. I, I experienced the God in whom I live and move and have my being. I asked the frogs to teach me how to swim, and they did. And the other animals taught me how to survive in the wilderness. And as I was in harmony with the God of creation, I got creative ideas. I was inspired. I made things. I made things like a clock. I'd never seen the inside of a clock before, but I knew how it would have to work. So I made wooden gears and made a clock that worked. I made wooden thermometer, wooden barometer. People told me, patent those things. No, no. They're not for me. They're for anyone. 
And I was told you can make money. Go into town, go to work. My father wouldn't hear of it. I need him on the farm. When I was 20 years old, I left home. I took my inventions with me and I went to the state fair, Wisconsin State Fair, and showed my inventions. And I was a hit. The Madison newspaper had a headline in it that said, Backwoods Genius Makes Things from Wood. They gave a special award, $15 to me for all my inventions. The most popular one was the alarm bed. It's very cold in Wisconsin, freezing, and you're warm in bed, it's hard to get up in the morning. So this bed, when the alarm goes off, it just starts lifting until it's perpendicular and you're out of bed. I got lots of job offers. But the one I responded to was from Dr. Carr, chemistry professor at the University of Wisconsin. He wanted me to come and study with him because he had seen an invention I had made of human hairs made to measure the growth of a plant, and he had never seen anything like it before. And I said, I only have three years' education. I'll get you in, he said. And he did. I was excited. I was going to go to the university. But then men were being drafted. I started school there, but I couldn't finish my courses. I would have to go into the Civil War. This would mean killing. This is in opposition to the harmony of nature. You know, human beings are the only ones who wantonly kill others. I couldn't participate, so I fled to Canada. And so during Canada, I became quite efficient at managing businesses, and I was becoming wealthy. I came back to the United States, to Indianapolis. I took one factory there that made broom handles, tripled its output in just a couple of months. I was on my way to being a millionaire. And then an industrial accident, a little piece of sliver of metal on, using on a grinder, it went into my left eye and blinded it. And then my right eye and sympathy went blind. And I was in darkness. And I might never again see the beautiful forest and the woods. I had to rethink my life. I've lost touch with who I am. Here I am make, trying to make money. Here I am competitive. Competition's not the harmony of nature. Nature's not competitive. There's a unity. There's a harmony to it. It's cooperation. And here I was trying to make money. I, I set all that aside. And I will be a tramp in order to discover who I am and why I'm here. I need to get back in touch with my roots. When I made that decision, my eyes cleared up. The doctor said it was a miracle. I could see. And I was going to tramp over this earth. My first goal was to go to uh, the Amazon. So I started out by walking south. I walked a thousand miles. And, but it was not very wise for a Yankee to walk through the south after the Civil War. I was beaten and robbed. The only place I could sur survive was to live in cemeteries. Other people are afraid of cemeteries. I'm not. When you love nature and understand nature, you're not afraid of death. But I became quite ill. I could never make it to the Amazon. So I took a ship and went around to San Francisco and walked up to Yosemite. I'd always wanted to see Yosemite. I planned to stay there for four or five months. It was 1869. I was 31 years old. The Intercontinental Railroad was just completed that year. People were coming from the east. They wanted to see Yosemite. We had over a thousand visitors to Yosemite that year, and I became the tour guide. But I fell in love with the place. I would live here. And so I constructed a sawmill. We had to buy lumber down in the valley to bring it up. And I, I made the, the boards 
always from trees, never from a living tree, trees that had died and been felled. And then I <clears throat> built a cabin there in the Yosemite Valley for myself. I wanted to experience everything in nature I could to get in touch with who I am. And so when a big storm and winds came along, I crawled to the very top of the tallest tree I could and just hung on to experience the wind blowing me back and forth. There was an earthquake, and I ran out and just sat on the ground to feel it and to watch a bucket of water so I could see the movement of the earthquake. I climbed every mountain in the Sierra Nevada. Now, there's a tradition that climbers, when they get to the top of a mountain peak, they leave their name. I never left my name in a log or anything else at the top of a mountain peak. That's not why I'm doing it. It's not competition. Every mountain is the sermon on the mount of Jesus Christ. Every mountain, if you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, you will hear and know that blessed are the humble. The whole world is theirs. You will know that blessed are the peacemakers. And every evening, when the sun would go down, it was like Jesus giving his final blessing to the disciples. My peace I leave with you. And I felt the peace of God so overwhelming within me at sunset, I would stand and dance and sing hallelujah, hallelujah. I knew why I was alive. I knew why I was here. I am not a being on the earth. I have been created out of the very essence of creation. The creative power of the universe is a part of me. I belong with the earth. And I'm in harmony with all. That's my goal. Well, not only was I intrigued with the mountains, but I was intrigued with little things too. And I kept careful notes. I made a journal and I did sketches and drawings of like the lichen. I discovered how many lichen there are in a quarter square inch. If you want to know, it's 550. And And I drew it and I sent it to scientific journals. Not a one of them ever paid any attention to what I said. Finally got, and I read every book I could on the Sierra Nevada, and they all said that Yosemite Valley was created by an earthquake. It couldn't be. I could see the markings of glaciers on the walls. And so I wrote this and was ignored. But I told every person I took on tour through the valley, this valley was not formed by an earthquake. Look, you can see for your... So I did an article for New York Tribune and wrote about it. And Josiah Whitney, after whom Mount Whitney is named, head of geology of the state of California, said it was ridiculous. But Joseph LeConte, scholar at University of California, Berkeley, came up to see for himself. We became lifelong friends. And I showed him. He wrote to Josiah Whitney and said, John Muir is right and we are wrong. And Whitney and LeConte had the textbooks changed. And they issued a statement saying that John Muir is one of the greatest living naturalists of our time. And suddenly, they took my writings. Everybody wanted them. They even named the lichen after me. They named butterflies after me. People came from all over the world to meet John Muir and to talk to me. Dr. Sargent, head of the Arboretum at Harvard University, the foremost authority on forests, came to sit down with me. I took him out on the hillside, and we stood there at sunset. And I danced and shouted hallelujah, and he stood there with his arms crossed. I said, show some emotion. And he said, I don't wear my heart on my sleeve. 
And I said, Hoot, Mom, I don't care where you wear your little heart. You're standing before God, and you're standing there saying, I'm from Boston, show me. It wasn't that way with Teddy Roosevelt. Toward the end, later, much later in my life, he came, spent four days with me. Nobody else with us. The President of the United States, the backpack with me. And the evening, when we stood before the sunset, and I danced and shouted, he danced and shouted, bully, bully. And the next morning when we woke up, there was four inches of snow on our sleeping bags. And he said, this is bullier yet. About 10 years before that, I had founded a club called the Sierra Club, and I was its president for the rest of my life. And we were the, our goal was to preserve the wilderness for future generations. And we were so concerned, and I expressed these concerns to the president. Make Yosemite a national park to protect it. Look what they're doing to it. The sheep and the cattle grazing are destroying all the, the flowers and the different things here. And the, and the railroad companies coming in to bring a railroad into Yosemite Valley and they're leveling and burning off sections for it. And the <clears throat> strip miners are ruining the hills. And the lumber industry is cutting down the large old growth redwoods. And if they can't cut them down, if they're too big, they dynamite them destroy three-fourths of the tree, but they can get enough money out of the remaining part to make it worth their while. At the end of four days, President Roosevelt said, these have been the bulliest four days of my life, and we're going to change things. And he did. He made Yosemite a national park. But he didn't stop there. He named other national parks. Up until then, we'd had only Yellowstone. He's the one who developed the whole system of national parks and monuments. 480 million acres he will set aside for parks and monuments, a pattern that is then going to be copied all over the world. And Teddy Roosevelt said, it was John Muir who awakened him to the need. I wrote, wrote to people, come to the wilderness. Come. If you want to know who you are, you'll never discover it living in the midst of human-made things like the cities and so forth. Come to the wilderness and discover the God in him you live and move and have your being. Yes, and you will never discover it by reading my words or seeing pictures any more so than if you were freezing to death and someone brought you a book on heat and gave you a picture of a fire, it would help you. No! You've got to experience it for yourself. Come to the wilderness and experience it. I, as eager as John the Baptist was to baptize his fellow sinners in the Jordan River, I want to baptize everyone in the beauty of the woods so they may have wholeness of life. They may have this union, this harmony, that will last them wherever they live. God was so real. And when one is in harmony, I knew things. God told me. I, I knew when my parents were dying at different times in life. I just knew it. And everyone wrote me. So I got on the train and went home, and I was at their deathbed, both of them. My father had changed. He was more like the man my mother must have married. He laughed. And he called me Roaming Johnny. And we were reconciled. I continued, not only in Yosemite, but I traveled. 
I went to the Amazon. I went to Alaska urging for preservation. They even named a glacier after me in Alaska. When I was 42 years old, I married Louise Wanda Strenzel. Called her Louie. We had two daughters, and I couldn't be a tramp anymore. So I had to leave living in Yosemite, and I went down. They had, her family was wealthy. They had a, a farm in Martinez, and we lived in the farm. And I managed the farm. And I so managed in a way that it increased the income, and in five years I made enough money that we would have enough money the rest of our lives. And Wanda sold the farm. Didn't tell me about it ahead of time. Left the farmhouse and the immediate property around it. But she said, you haven't been writing. You've been so busy with the farm. And you have a noble calling. You must write. You must speak. You must travel. I want you to be free to do that. What a wonderful woman she was. When she died after 25 years of marriage, I was 67 years old. And my soul went flat. It was empty. I was going to live out the rest of my days just in harmony with God. But two things happened that changed it. The first is that Congressman William Kent bought an old growth of redwoods north of San Francisco to rescue it from the developers who wanted to cut it down. They then took him to court. They wanted right of eminent domain to get the land back. And so Kent gave it to the U.S. government, and Teddy Roosevelt made it a national monument. Was going to name it Kent Woods? Kent said, no, it must be Muir Woods. I've never met John Muir, but I've read his books. And I realized the power of the written word. I would have to write as long as I have breath. The second thing that happened was the San Francisco earthquake in 06, and the burning of the city because they didn't have the water to put out the fires. So they had to have a reservoir in the Sierra. They wanted a huge reservoir to provide them with water. And they chose either Yosemite Valley or Hetch Hetchy. Two of the most beautiful valleys in all creation. They are cathedrals of gods. And the only reason they chose them, they could have chosen many, many other places because it was cheaper there because they just had to dam up one part of the and, and natural basin. So I opposed it. The Sierra Club opposed it. But the forces in favor of it wrote that the only reason John Muir wants to have it another location is because he's in with the developers and the other areas and utility companies, and they want it on their land so he can make money. He claims to be this great environmentalist who wants to save the woods. Did you know he had a sawmill. It was okay to cut down the trees and to make money when he made the money from it. He claims to have climbed all these mountain peaks. Check the logs. His name's not in one of them. He claims to have had all these patents. Check the patent office. All these inventions. Check the patent office. Not a one in his name. He claims to be this great naturalist. He never had completed more than three years' education. He is a fraud. They chose Hetch Hetchy, and in 1913, Congress approved. And in 1914, they bulldozed the beautiful cathedral. It was the last year of my life. I'd kept writing. 
It was December the 24th, 1914, Southern California in a hospital. I sat in my chair each day writing, easy chair there, and they discovered that I had died that day. And I had papers all around on Alaska. I was still writing. But the final thing I'd written was in my lap. And it said, death is a gracious mother who comes to take her children home.